Welcome to DC Local Leaders, the podcast where we talk to C-suite leaders within the DC area. Our guests share their pathways to success and the important moments that impacted their careers. Lean in as we get the inside scoop on how they are shaping their industries, how they lead, manage, and connect with others. From the sectors of aerospace, defense, tech, IT, and more, this is Local Leaders. Your host has been making meaningful connections with industry leaders for over 15 years. Here's Philip Nathrum. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. We're back with another episode of DC Local Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Nathrum. Today, we are speaking with another fantastic leader in our local area. We're speaking with the CEO of Riva Solutions, Naveen Krishnamurthy. Naveen shares with us his journey of how he sought out the advice of 30 people that have already done what he wanted to do before he even started. He, along with the leadership of his company, his mentors, his advisors, have grown that company from just one contract to doing over $20 million in revenue. He talks to us in depth about how he goes through his process of mentorship, fostering creativity, and what he does in his own practice to make his day a success, to make his company successful. So really excited to get into that. Thank you so much to everyone who has subscribed, rated, and reviewed, followed us, Apple, Spotify, LinkedIn, Instagram. We really appreciate it, and let's get into the episode. And we're on. Well, welcome to episode two of the DC Local Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Nathram. I'm here today with Naveen Krishnamurthy, CEO of Riva Solutions. We are in his office here in Tyson's Corner. Um, and it's great to have you. Thank you for doing this. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Thanks, Phil. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here and uh, have this chat with you today. Yeah. I mean, we've talked a couple times over the years. You know, I, I just, I've been really excited about watching you and, and just hearing you talk about all your experiences. And I think it's a powerful message. You've done a number of different things, continued to learn things along the way. And, and I think that's a big part of what this podcast is all about, right? It, it's learning from your experiences and and I hope some of the people that to, that that it may help would be other leaders, other CEOs, other people that are maybe in more of a technical position and want to make the jump to leadership, or just someone fresh out of school, right? Doesn't really know what they're doing or mid career kind of stalling, but then they hear you say something and they think to themselves, well, you know what? Maybe I could do something like that too. Sure. No, excited to talk about that. Um, uh, no pressure, of course. Yeah, <laughs> now I, you set it up that way. <laughs> I know, I know. I just put a put a big weight on your shoulder. Like you better say something valuable, otherwise, you know, I don't think it's going to be that way. So tell me, tell me a little bit about Riva Solutions. What what is Riva Solutions? What do you guys do? Uh, it's a government contractor, um, primarily services side. Um, you know, in terms of our core capabilities, digital emerging tech. I'm really excited about like the RPA component of our emerging tech division. Cloud, um, you know, DevSecOps. Uh, we made an acquisition a few years ago of a company called SM Resource Corporation. So that helped us build a science and engineering division. And then uh, digital, we've just been doing for 10 plus years. It's kind of in our DNA and core. And then uh, a lot around management consulting, traditional PMO, et cetera. So we have eight core capabilities. Uh, we just kind of went through that repositioning this past year. And uh, right now, you know, from a government contracting perspective, uh, you know, we qualify as a larger small business uh, in those mm -hmm. service areas. We're mm -hmm. at 430 plus employees in 16 oh, wow. states. Uh, 
or sorry, 22 states and 16 agencies. So very diversified. Uh, I kind of equate it to, you know, the, 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 the cliche around crawl, walk, run. We're kind of entering the run stage before yeah. that window closes as we head into the mid-tier market. Yeah. So we're, we're starting to kind of do that preparation while we still take advantage of being a, a larger small business. How do you, w- w- when you started off, did you start off just by yourself or was it you and another partner? I started off by myself. Um, I was a minority owner of another GovCon company, um, had the opportunity. I kind of joke with people, learn on someone else's dime. Yeah. And, you know, uh, for, for me, it wasn't learning about acquisition or IT capital planning, which is my background. It was applying basics around my MBA around, oh my God, I got to figure out payroll and HR and I got to figure out how to establish a line of credit with the bank and figure out how to follow proposal processes. So I got to do that with my old company and then I I used that to exit, um, you know, to really bootstrap and, and start Riva out of the gate. And honestly, a lot of people ask me this question. I took one of the contracts with me in terms of making that exit. And I knew that would give me at least a two-year runway to try to figure out if I can make it or break it, you know, in terms right. of starting Riva. Yeah. You mentioned, you mentioned MBA. So you went to Maryland. Did you go to Maryland for undergrad and graduate? I did. I did a, a triple major at Maryland. Um, you know, I tell everybody it, oh it, it looks, it looks impressive on my wall. I just say I cut and pasted the diploma three times. I, three <laughs> at one time. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I was five and a half years, so it might be also partially that I just wanted to stay in college. When did, when did you sleep? Oh, so you were having too much fun. You're <laughs> like, I got to find another major otherwise. Exactly. And uh, then I went back to the Smith School, uh, highly recommend it, University of Maryland, part-time evening. And, um, you know, uh, honestly, a lot of the classes, I started seeing some of the same professors I had yeah. when I was in yeah. my undergrad. But uh, it, it was great doing that uh, between 28 and 30. Because I was able to apply, you know, actual practical experience to doing the MBA. Yeah. Right what? Right when I was starting uh, work at the previous company, which was a startup GovCon company. Was it five years total? What did you do in between that time? Did you work or did you, did you find something else? You, you were age 28 when you started your graduate I, level degree? Yeah, I, start, I did it part time. So I was working uh, I, right at that juncture. I started... Uh, working at my previous company. And so I was there five years, uh, K4 Solutions, yeah, and, and then exited uh, and started Riva uh, 10 and a half years ago. Okay. And, and I, I feel, Phil, um, you're backing me into my age now. No, that's not <laughs> what I'm trying to do. I wasn't trying to count down like, all right, well, 29 minus. No, that's not what I was trying to do. I, um, I'm still 38 for, if yeah. anyone asked. Um, no, I was just trying to get an idea if you thought and it sounds like you do that for, let's say someone's listening today and, you know, they're graduating college and they're thinking, should I just go straight into the MBA? Should oh. I just get a master's? Is that going to set me apart in the job market in the beginning? And is that something I should do versus let me get out there and see if I even know how to apply what I've learned or learn something. And then maybe it takes me in a different direction. That's a, that's a really good question. And I, we get a lot of that, at, you know, in, in working through career development with folks here at Riva. And I, I, I kind of relay my own personal experience. You know, I, I can't speak to how master's and graduate programs have changed in the last couple of decades. But I really feel that you've got to have a little bit of a distance between getting in the working world, uh, getting some practical experience before you start your graduate level programs. 
you know, I at that time I did my GMAT early on Booz Allen's dime. And so, you know, leveraging your company programs to kind of help with prep and getting through some of those things, looking at tuition reimbursement. So it's it's kind of like, let's take advantage of the benefits. But uh, I, I just, I found myself at 28 to 30 where I would see people in our programs that were maybe 25, 26 going, I don't even understand what, you know, how this would apply to my daily life because so much of it is akin to being a manager or a leader. And, and a lot of people haven't done that yet. There's a lot of people, I guess I asked that question to a lot of people, right? And I think more people have said what you said, you know, get some experience under your belt and then use that as an opportunity to go back to grad school with a little bit more purpose. I, we we kind of call it resume padding. You know, uh, I got to get my graduate degree. I got to get my PMP. I got to get my Lean Six Sigma. I got to have a high level of clearance. Like I have to have a large business on my resume. And I think a lot of people in their 20s do that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I also think that, you know, we're getting, uh, you know, employers who are becoming more smarter on how they do talent acquisition, what they look for, and that cohesiveness around performance and skill sets, I think, is starting to shift in our market. Uh, Not just that you have the relevant certifications and the pedigree. I think it's a blend of pedigree and experience both. Yeah. So you, I mean, obviously you've got 400 something employees, but you started by yourself. When did you know you needed help? What position was that? Was it someone to help you just do your day to day or was it someone to help you grow the business? How do you even know you're ready for that? Well, you know, I started myself on paper, but the the amount of advisors and people in the support system was pretty vast. Uh, you know, my, you know, the, f- the former majority owner of K4 Solutions was my big- biggest advocate who I learned a lot from. And so that was great having that support system. Uh, you know, I went out before I started Riva and I met with 30 graduated 8A owners. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, through that, I probably picked up two or three more mentors. Uh, I've always kind of had mentors, you know, even in my 20s. That's huge. And I think they serve different purposes. Some are mentors around, uh, you know, running a business. Some are in specific, you know, specific to GovCon. Uh, I think there was those were other areas. And then, and then it was a little bit of moxie and creativity. Like how can I kind of get freelancers or people, you know, kind of with the thought that, hey, maybe if you, if you guys grow, I could work there one day. So kind of really leveraged my, you know, community of support where um, I was able to parlay that and kind of in a almost like a bartering and favor trading that I was able to get people to help me early on. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned mentors um, and th- and that's huge, right? I, I, I'm a big proponent of that. I have a number of them in my own life. And it turns out I have different, I don't just have one mentor for everything. I've always been told but if they have what you want, do what they do. Right. Mm-hmm. If they have the body style that I want, if they have the athleticism that I want, or if they're, you know, do what they do, do their diet, do their workout, you know, try that. So I've got a mentor there, I've got a mentor at work, other people, you know, I'm a broker, I'm a commercial real estate broker with Transwestern. Um, and, and Transwestern is fantastic. It's not hard to find a nice mentor around there that will take some time to sit down and talk to you and just share with you their experience and give you some pointers of things that you can focus on. Um, absolutely. I had, I had one, um, uh, Ravi Duncan Kote, uh, he runs a billion dollar portfolio at CACI, senior VP. And he got me one of my first jobs at CACI, um, you know, really a family related friend. 
but he's been instrumental for the last, you know, 15 plus years and just having a regular checkpoint. How are you doing? Where's your career? I've had formal uh, executive coaches too. Um, not really a big fan of like the lists that they kind of go through. It's very generic. Uh, but one of the biggest takeaways between mentorship, executive coaching was uh, the in- intertwining your work and personal life in in how you go about gaining advice because i think we have a tendency to only ask about the work aspect yeah but it is the balance of your life that you have to figure out how to intertwine to meet some of your professional goals and i think that was one of the things that really helped me out a lot is seeking advice from people who have had the battle scars or have recommendations and i i think that you know i kind of call it work therapy that that's yeah. really where it was like, oh, I'm able to break through something that's kind of stuck in my head. I have a sounding board and, and this person can give me a different perspective. Yeah. And that takes a lot of working through fear to do that. Right. Because a lot of times I like we don't want to be vulnerable in front of another person. We want to make sure that they think that we're good at what we're doing or that we're smart, like to go there and say, look, I'm having trouble. I need some help. Did that take some coaching or, or skill building? Were you always like that or did you have to learn to be that way? Yeah, I, I've always been like. I'm a student and a learner all the time. Yeah. You know, I mean, whether you're, you're looking at the degrees or looking at, you know, uh, doing online research, signing up for webinars, reading, uh, talking to mentors, uh, I'm, I feel like I'm in a constant state of I got to keep learning and increasing my knowledge base. I really do feel that talking to people is one has probably been the best. I kind of joke uh, sometimes in uh, mentorship programs where I'm a mentor and I say, you know, hey, I've got a triple degree, MBA, PMP, Lean Six Sigma, high level clearance. I, I run through all those and I go, I don't think any of those apply to what I do in my daily life. Yeah. A lot of it is really, you know, what you've learned through the experience with people. And um, I, I think that if you don't have that learning mentality, it could be very prohibitive to be successful because even if you apply it to GovCon, our market has changed so much in the t- last 10 years, 20 years. And keeping on top of the trends, uh, I always tell people I'm the student of the market, of the industry. And, and I think that's really helped us kind of stay at the, at the head of where things are progressing. So you'd say be the student, not the expert. I'm definitely not an expert. Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely the one that's always going to ask a lot of questions. And I, I love meeting people who are in the middle level of their career because they hit the glass ceiling. And I say, listen ask all the questions and right. you know no one's going to chastise you for that because that's the point that you're about to break through and become a manager or a leader. Yeah. I've done a lot of work with fear, right? Cuz I I was just paralyzed by fear in so many different ways that I didn't even realize. You know, we don't know what we don't know and and sometimes I would act out of fear and think that it was good, you know, good decisions, right? Like right. being smart. Um but, and it's usually selfish fear, right? Fear of losing something I have or not getting something I want, driving me to either do or not do something. Um, and and I've, I've learned that a lot of that exists only within my own mind, right? Yeah. That people are not, most people aren't thinking about me as much as I, I'm thinking about me. And, and they're probably not thinking, this guy's a moron, I hate him. Yeah. They're probably not thinking that, right? And, and unless I give them an opportunity, I love helping people. Mm-hmm. And I found that people, when I ask them for their help, they're joyful to give it to me. Absolutely. Right. I'm not asking them for money or give me business. It's help me understand what it is, what you've done that I can apply in my own life. Well, I mean, you know, we have a concept, Riva Karma, right? And it's tied to our CSR uh, around community service and protecting the environment. And 
they, we encourage people and we even like measure people in their success around how can they help others give, be a team player. Uh, the best example for me was uh, meeting Daryl Peak. Uh, he was a protege of mine through the ACT Act program, and uh, he's worked at high level in Homeland Security. He's been in and out of industry, and he came as my protege to the first meeting, and he had a binder that was six inches thick on his plan of our mentor-protege program, and it had a career, five-year career like plan that he put in place. And uh, most recently, he showed it to me, and it's been five-plus years later, and um, you know that's kind of the opposite of living in fear where you say, I'm going to flip the script here and I'm going to be proactive and think about how I'm going to move forward. And uh, I think you do have to have that mentality, you know, to, to plan uh, because if, if you don't take it proactively, you're definitely not going to get the results you're looking for. Right. How can you hit a target you can't see? Right. Right. right? I've, I think I've got that Wayne Gretzky poster in here somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> you only can score it if you shoot on the goal. Right. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, then there's so many people, and it, and it's so great to hear you say that as a normal person. In just people can walk up to you and meet you, right? Because we always hear, right? You miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. The famous authors, and they have their quotes and things like that. Um, but for some reason, it resonates way more, at least with me, and I hope with the people listening to hear just normal people talking about that same exact thing, right? Have a plan. And I keep coming back to working out. I don't know why, but it it just seems to play a part in my everyday life as far as my psychology, not just my physiology, but I started counting macros and it kind of changed everything because then I had something to work towards. I had a plan that I was following. I was aiming for something. I had a target I was trying to hit. It wasn't just like, I'm going to eat less and look better, Mm -hmm. you know, or be more healthy, or I'm going to get more sleep because I eat more vegetables or whatever the words are. And, and I just found that to be huge. You, you also mentioned earlier, I wanted to come back to that. You met with 30 people when you were trying to just figure out what you were going to do next. Mm-hmm. Was that, was that a, something that you came up with? Like, how did you come up with that number? Or who, who did you know who to call? Were you just trying to figure out, like me, like you went through this program, 8A. What is 8A, by the way? It's a small business administration government has a uh, set aside programs for, and in this case, minority and economically disadvantaged individual. So there's set-asides provided for them for contracts. And 8A is the most uh, prolific one out of all of them. Uh, There are some constraints in order to be able to apply both economically and socially. Uh, You know, for example, you know, I don't have a grandparent nearby that is in a country club, right? That's like one of the factors of what goes into the support system that, you know, with your parents immigrating to this country or or if you immigrated, you didn't have. Uh, But... Um, you know, starting, starting out, it was me just kind of applying, uh, how do I create a business plan if I don't understand this industry? One of the things that became very obvious is the government really sets it up for small businesses to be successful through set aside programs. But at the same time, a lot of people go through that maturation. The set aside program runs out because an A day specifically is nine and a half years. And a lot of people go off the proverbial 8A cliff because they use the 8A for that entire period. And I became really fascinated with that. It wasn't about starting a company. It was about how do you exit and where is your where are you going downstream? And I saw that path that this would be a natural progression if I went down that path. So I specifically identified 8A graduate owners 
Mm. And so just people who've already gone through the full life cycle and said, what, what would you do differently? Do you have any advice for me? And about, uh, I think 29 out of the 30 were like, oh man, let me tell you where I failed. Let me mm. tell you how to do mm. it differently. And so it was just uh, great hearing all their battle scars and advice and, you know, excitement to see somebody at the front end of that process and, and just take a lot of notes. Yeah, that's fantastic. You already, so again, you were, you had a target in mind. You, you had a plan that you don't want to just do the 8A and then nine and a half years later, you're no longer a business owner. What's the plan? The plan is to use 8A as a catalyst or a springboard and actually have a successful business and, yep. and be able to do commercial work, be able to do more government work on your own. Um, and you sought out that advice from the beginning. That's a good point. I, I kind of get, I have a lot of people who ask me this question and I say, I don't think short term, I think big picture all the time. And I think that, you know, through necessity, we're thinking about surviving as a young company in the short term, but the big picture is it's your reputation. It's the quality of your work. It's not, you know, uh, getting into disagreements that are stonewalled and teaming arrangements or, you know, working on a contract. I've always taken the high road and thought big picture. And, it, you know, like a lot of times I say, see companies name their company, you know, something medical or, you know, they, I chose Riva because it's nondescript. Right. The name, the, the company defines the name versus vice versa is because I don't know. You don't know where you're going to have success. You may start in a discipline like cybersecurity because you were a billable cybersecurity consultant, but you may start a company and go, oh, actually, I want to do something completely different in a, in a, in a different area like, you know, health IT. And so uh, that evolution of learning and your business plan, I mean, we've seen it with everyone from Apple to all the stories historically, you know, where a company starts and where they end up is never usually the same place. Right. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, so you learn from the failures of these, uh, these 30 folks, what, uh, looking back now, so you're 10 years in, you know, looking back, what's, uh, let's talk about, just pick one that sticks out to you, like a failure that you learn from, cause that's a big part of this podcast. What are those impactful moments? And sometimes, you know, it's nice to celebrate the wins, but you know, we got to celebrate those failures too, cause that's how we grow. Absolutely. Um, well, first off, they weren't off the, fa they weren't failures. They gave me their advice on yeah. <laughs> where the pitfalls are. So they were very highly successful businessmen and women. Uh, but so they were lessons. Yeah. No, well, they were, yeah, the people themselves weren't failures, but they made, <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah, let's be clear if they're listening, uh, cause hopefully they're going to see that you're on here and listen, right. I'm not calling you a failure. I meant that yeah. you made mistakes and where he was able to learn from those. I mean, you know, I, I love psychology and sociology, right? My passion is organizational behavior. And I think one of the very fascinating ones, uh, that I saw and heard was a lot of owners, uh, are emotional leaders. And they develop a lot of hubris as they grow in size. Um, you know, being humble and modest and continuously learning and knowing where you are in the marketplace, that gut check, that's something that I really took away, which is, you know, you're not at the top of the mountain. You're just, you're making your way and you've got to continue. It's just going to get harder as you climb. And so you can't drink your own Kool-Aid. You have to continuously build a team hire more expertise, gain advisors, and really think through that because, you know, sleeping at the wheel is exactly, once you get the moderate success, that's exactly why some of these companies found themselves, uh, you know, kind of going down in terms of quality. 
because scaling, you know, uh, scaling their innovation, it, it just wasn't possible if, if you're not continuing to be uh, really, at, you know, on par with your craft and really be thinking about how to hone it to get it better. So, so when you, so let's talk about that for a second. So when you hire these, you hire people in your, in your firm, um, what kind of culture have you set up within your company? Talk to me about how, is it open door policy? Um, like how, how do you set these teams up? How do they operate with each other? What's that, what's that flow and that vibe? That you, it's a, it's a good question because I think it's uh, subjective to where where you are in your like corporate maturity. You know, I kind of break. Everybody has a different way of breaking it up. I break it up zero to two million in revenue, two to five, five to fifteen, and then uh, fifteen to fifty and fifty and higher. And I think you almost have to create a different business plan for those different sizes. Uh, when you're zero to two, you're just like, man, I just hope I survive. <laughs> you know, you're literally hoping that you you're not a 90% plus casualty of being a startup. 2 to 5 you're you're starting to get that success feeling but you have no infrastructure behind you. And so you start to think through that path of I've got to think about priming contracts, building an infrastructure, reinvesting. Uh 5 to 15 I think is one of the hardest uh areas actually because that's where you start to build that infrastructure and uh, you know, to kind of tying it back to your question is you have to project leadership, but you also have to uh, always demonstrate that you're learning with the people that you hire and that they're a key cog in that process to learn. So you, you want to be a strong leader, but you want to also have that open door policy. Finding that right balance is very difficult for people, I think, in general, because I think our tendency as humans is to want to project leadership and be the smartest person in the room because, you know, we're insecure in that nature that, hey, I have a CEO title. I've got to, like, project it. But I think, like, really being down to earth and being, you know, I always say paint the problem that you have and bring it to the people you're working with, and they're part of solving the problem. You may be the decision maker. You may have more facts. But, you know, I always kind of use that as a path. So that way it takes a little bit more time. It takes a little bit more patience. But then the stakeholders you have that work for you are going, well, I kind of get where he's coming from. I understand what he's trying to do, and I understand how I can try to see if I could help him. I also know that he may not take my advice, uh, but he might take you know, uh, portions of my advice in order to make a decision. Um, so that's always been my philosophy. It's definitely doesn't – I don't think it's a popular one because it does take a lot of patience because, you you know, what you can make in a – quick decision, you probably have to take an extra five steps to really get the collaboration and buy-in and ideation from the stakeholders in, in the process. Uh, but that's all, you know, classically management consulting 101, where you kind of go through that, you know, decision-made process, working with people to get their buy-in, to get their investment, and to really make a better decision. I'm just kind of taking in what you just said. And I've seen you operate around your, the employees of this company, right? I've, I've been uh, fortunate enough to attend some events with you and things like that. And it just seems like everyone has just this very great, friendly relationship with everyone, including you. Um, but you can tell that they still, like, they still respect you as a leader, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think sometimes when I heard, you know, when you were talking, it, it's, it's a very fine line because you want to get along with everyone, especially like when it's a small business environment, when you're smaller in nature. 
But then over time, as you grow, you need more time and separation from them. But you've been able to maintain that relationship with them. And it seems like what I've been able to notice is that everyone within the firm seems to have a great relationship with each other. And 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 they seem to have a great respect for what each other does and brings to the table and their their portion of the, the pie that they're they're, you know, they're problem solving. Yeah. Um, and that's, and that, how do you cultivate that? How do you maintain that? You know, uh, I learned that probably when I worked at Aqualint, um, billable on a contract. I was, a, you know, deputy project manager. We had a, I don't know, at the time, two dozen people billing, uh, Francis Perkin building. And, uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't just about getting the job done. It was about playing pranks on people in the office. It was, uh, you know, fantasy football. It was, you know, the happy hours that we scheduled. It was, you know, meeting each other's significant others or their furry friends, you know, that they have. And yeah. I've always been a firm believer. I learned it there that you're just, you're, it's, you're, when you break bread, you're able to build chemistry. You're working with people so often. It's more important to me that you get along and you, because once you develop that chemistry, you could solve problems better. You're effective working with people. You're able to conquer roadblocks. It isn't a matter of will you come across a roadblock or an obstacle. Life is a track, and the track, you're not just running around it. Imagine it with the obstacles before you run it, and then you suddenly think, man, this is easier to do because I already knew the obstacles would be there. And so if you're able to sit there and have a collegial feel and, you know, we're doing group lunches together, we, you know, here at corporate, we have Mario Kart lounge, we have hoverboards, <laughs> got a wine fridge, you know, we have an alpaca as our mascot that we all get behind. And, you know, when you have that, it's not so serious. Sometimes it's like, hey, you know, we're going to have our opinions, but let's go through the let's work through that conflict resolution together and find a way to work. And I love that part of it. That's the culture, right? Yeah. And, and our culture is bred that we all get along and, uh, you know, it's very difficult to say there's no toxicity in any, any environment, but the more and more you could build strong relationships, it really helps you uh, prevent that toxicity that occurs a lot of times. Yeah. That's so one question that I've been asking everyone is how would you qualify the difference between belonging and fitting in as it relates to yourself uh, and your professional community, but also your business and your culture. And I think you just kind of summed up that, but just, I don't know, think about that for a second, belonging versus fitting in. Yeah. You know, when you say that, the the biggest thing is I think people think I'm an extrovert and I think, you know, going through DISC and Myers-Briggs and things like that, I always tell people, I think I was an extrovert in my 20s. I think I've become more of an introvert as I've gotten older. I'm probably somewhere in the in the matrix in the middle um, on the spectrum. But I, I really think that you, you have to really understand the profile of individuals. Uh, being a manager, for example, you know, the tendency is you're either the hard news manager or you're their best friend. But it's the balance of the two and understanding your individual that works for you and their profile and their strengths and weaknesses. I think that that's the biggest part is the adaptability and not just saying, you know, um, one size fits all. So mm. if you want to uh, fit in your environment versus belong, um, fitting, you know, is where you're, you're trying to hard code something. I think 
Belonging is where you're accepting of who you are and you're comfortable in your own skin. Mm. And I think that's what we try to do at Reva is we say, hey, you know, all walks of life, you know, uh, it's great to embrace, you know, all the different people with the different diverse backgrounds. And I think I spend a lot of time trying to learn it, too, because I think it actually contributes to ideas um, to help us evolve as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, let's talk about you as an individual now. Give me an idea. Uh, I know you've got a couple kids. How old are they? Uh, 11 and nine. I've got a girl and a boy. Yeah. Have they been, uh, have they been holding up over the summer? I mean, you know, COVID was difficult, um, for my daughter being in, you know, now she's in sixth grade, not seeing her friends, uh, you know, but my son is more, you know, video games, doesn't care. Yeah. You know, he didn't mind it that much. Uh, it was very tough. Some of the extracurricular activities like soccer and things like that, they weren't able to do. Um, but kids are resilient. I mean, you know, managing a company of 430 plus people and then watching the kids, the kids adapt a lot faster, <laughs> honestly, yeah, because, they're, you know, they're like, hey, you know, I'm just going to roll with the punches and, you know, figure it out. And, uh, you know, maybe one day they'll remember it or they won't. But, yeah. you know, they, they, they adapted pretty quickly. So, I mean, you, you balance between, um, you know, a family life and a work life. What's that? How do you keep everything separated? Do you have a morning routine that you follow to set yourself up psychologically, physically? Like, how do you, cause that's a lot, right? You've got a fam, you've got kids, right? Mm -hmm. And then you've also got a 400 plus person company. Yeah. I think, I mean, you know, the, the balance between family and your friends and your career and, you know, the personal aspirations is, is I think, a challenge we all face at different phases of our life. Uh, I, I do think of it uh, consciously with a plan, you know, to have the prioritization. I'm a really big stickler on time management. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of people classify that like, you know, oh, let's do a 30-minute meeting versus 60. I do it with things like I Ubered for a year and a half. Because I, I figured out that oh, you it can would work in the car. I could work in the car and gain, you know, efficiency there that I wasn't losing in traffic. Oh. You know, so uh, I, I pretty much have automated almost every aspect of my life through Amazon and all the online services, even before COVID. And the amount of hours I save doing that is what I was able to parlay into my family and, and also my career. So I kind of gamify some of that to try to find ways to eke out more hours. Uh, the other part about the routine, I think it's, I, for me, it was not waking up and starting work right away. Mm. Now, looking at your phone, uh, surfing on social media, it was like getting up and, you know, brushing your teeth, um, taking a few moments. Some people call it meditation. Some people say, hey, it's a couple minutes of silence just to clear your head. Um, you know, that routine is, you know, I think really helps you optimize on getting ready for the day instead of kind of frenetically jumping into the day. And then you're always like, what meetings do I have today? Did I even prepare for them? Yeah. Oh, I got to pick up the kids from soccer. Like, you know, like you're, you know, that's where you're in a state of chaos and your mind isn't really good at decision-making and analyzing because you're always chasing. So, uh, you know, I, I even equate it to, you know, looking at having a clean car now that I own one that, you know, if it's scattered, like I think your mind becomes a bit mm, scattered, mm. you know, that's me personally. I know everybody's different. I've no, seen some I, people's cars are like chaos and, and it works for them. But, uh, you know, you know, that those simple things like that, 
I think is what I look at. You know, it's something as simple as when I put gas in my car, I take the trash out of my car, you know, so then my car is always clean. So it's, it's looking at those simple things and adding them up in my life. Mm. Uh, and, and the idea is just to con honest, honestly, is to simplify. God, you know, this question, th this conversation is just, um, it's describing. So I did a trailer for this podcast and all of the things that you're, uh, you're mentioning or just right in there. Uh, and it's not that I sent it to you in, in advance. I just want to make sure that anyone <laughs> listening, but it's, it's, yeah, it's those small cumulative moments, right? Those moments of impact that add up over time, uh, that shape who we are. And sometimes it's learning from the things that didn't go well. Um, and, and, you know, uh, success is not a straight line. It's a winding road, that sort of thing. Um, and even something as small as the, the goal is to have a clean car. Well, how do I do that? It's a little bit at a time. And you just make that your habit, and then that that accumulates into always having a clean yeah. car. Now you can replicate that in anything you want to do. It's, I mean, going back to working out, right? It's a regimen. It's a discipline. It's the repetition. <clears throat> we we even do it in our sales pipelines, right? You know, if you do a pipeline meeting uh, every six months, guess what? It's all stacked, and you're behind. But if you do it weekly and you have a discipline and a regimen for it, you probably have a very strong sales pipeline. Yeah. And I think like, you know, not all of us are trained. We all have left brain, right brain, and we have different things that we see. But to me, the repetition drives strength, just like in working out. The repetition allows you to do more reps or to do higher weights. And if you if you don't have that discipline uh, built in, it's, it's, it's a lot of it is self-discipline. You know, that's the part where you have to find the inner strength, especially when you're a young company, but then you can't achieve the results you're looking for. Yeah. And it's, it's probably more important to get started than it is to be really great at it because you're probably not going to be really great at it, whatever that it is. Right. Right. Whether it's working out or cold calling or trying to bring in more business or even giving presentations or podcasting, whatever it happens to be, right? I, mm -hmm. Who knows what that first episode is going to sound like compared to the second, and who knows what those two will sound like compared to the 10th or the 15th. And the biggest part is the fear of trying, and then the other one is giving up early. But uh, life is, is, in a lot of aspects, is the grind, and it's the achievement of a lot of repetition, a lot of learning mistakes where you get, you know, you talked earlier about successes celebrated, failures or not. Uh, we were recently nominated for a CCAF award. We didn't win, but I had to prepare a, a acceptance speech. And in the speech, uh, I had actually said for all the CEOs in the room, of course, it was a Zoom call. On, um, I want to congratulate you and your teams on all the second place losses that you had because they'll never get credit for them. You worked equally as hard. Uh, but you know, that's, that's the learning that went into why you actually mm -hmm. got the first place awards so mm -hmm. eventually. And so that, that's, that's something that we brush over really quick. And I, I think that, you know, we, we do these things called alpaca cleanses where we do, it's kind of a hot washer debrief whenever we lose anything here, because we're like, how do we get better next time? Yeah. Okay. So you're actively looking at those losses and what can we learn from yeah. 
you know, what did they say? What feedback did, and so do you ask for that feedback? Like, hey, we didn't win, but could you take Absolutely. some time to talk to me? We take the debriefs, we break it down, we have collaboration. Um, these guys here are phenomenal. They built a Trello board and they're using, you know, Kanban principles to break it down by category and document it in advance. And then we look at the reoccurring themes. And then if you get three losses, then you could say, oh, this has happened now three times. We might want to think of continuous improvement, you know, to kind of fix this. So uh, that evolution is really exciting to watch. Um, otherwise, you know, it, it's really the lesson learned that otherwise you're going to just make the same mistake 12 times and you're wondering, why do we keep making the same mistake? Right. You take ownership of it. You take inventory of the right. things that went well and the things that didn't go well. And eventually it sounds like you see patterns. Right. And then you have, a, all right, well, so this is something that as a group we need to focus on. And I'm f- fascinated that with that right now. Data science is such a hot area. And, you know, we've got Tableau dashboards up the wazoo here for so many different things. And data-driven decision-making, looking at the analytics, seeing what's winning, losing, working, uh, even things like invoicing and error resolution and looking at different aspects of your organization. It's such a great area if you, you know, versus just going around to each person's office and chatting with them to kind of see what's working, what's not working. And and I think that's a, a phenomenal area right now for companies to invest in. Yeah, that's awesome. How, so going back to your morning routine, um, I'm a big morning routine guy and it's been, you know, I wanted to finish our thought there because we were, we were on a roll, but um, what do you wake up at the same time every day? Are you that structured? Cause I, I have a tendency to do that. I set aside time. I do have a prayer and meditation routine and I generally work out or I got big in the yoga last year and that's a thing too. But um, mm. I, I either do some journaling or some reading or both or listen to, um, you know, some sort of speaker or whatever. Uh, talk to me a little bit more about what that looks like and, and, Sure. How you prepare yourself. Uh, I'm very fortunate that I don't have any sleep issues. So I know a lot of people, uh, you know, insomnia and, and have trouble sleeping. I probably takes me about um, two minutes before I pass out. <laughs> so I realize over time that I'm very fortunate. Uh, so one thing that's interesting is I don't, I don't set an alarm. I, I view it that you should let your body kind of wake up naturally. Hmm. So, um, I actually wake up at a different time every day and, um, I, you know, through alarms, we tend to wake up at the same exact time. I'm a, a very big traveler too, right? Yeah, so so I go to different time zones. So I've kind of trained myself to let my body naturally wake up when my body says it's time to wake up. And, um, that's been, you know, a, a result of traveling, but also, I think it's really helped me get that, you know, whether it's six or eight hours to be a better functioning adult, you know, in my daily life. Uh, I think the other part of it um, for me is uh, music. Um, I think I kind of got away from music over the years and then I reconnected with it about five years ago and I started to go down, you know, listening to the old music I used to listen to when I was younger. To what are you into? Uh, I used to listen to a lot of rock and, uh, you know, it's 90s hip-hop, yeah. you know, all, all of 80s, 90s hip-hop. Uh, but then I started to kind of like learn about some of these new genres like bluegrass mm. and looking at uh, some of the country. And mm. uh, I really like down-tempo and, you know, Budo Lounge kind of music and, you know, seeing who are the new artists like Alan Walker, you know, he fascinates me. And so I started to kind of do it, but I did it mood-based. 
you know, a Monday versus a, you know, Saturday versus a Thursday, you know, it might be classical. Maybe it's Vivaldi, you know, but it was kind of mood based where I listened to it and it kind of got my day started, uh, you know, where you're brushing your teeth and you're sitting there going, I just got lost in, in my mind thinking about my day, listening to this music and uh, transcending from, uh, you know, just a basic repetitive pattern. And I, I think that um, really helped out a lot. And then, and then I think the recent one is finding things around nutrition and health. You know, it's, it sounds like you would probably be able to teach me a thing or two. Wow. But, you know, like, you know, learning, uh, you know, th- having a good breakfast and not just saying, let me grab that coffee and run out the door. You know, let me like mm-hmm. actually think about um, how to get my body functioning to be optimal. So I've started to get better in that. I'm definitely not the best in any way, shape, or form. But at least it's a conscious idea around how do I get my mind right, my body right, because how am I going to make good decisions uh, and be patient and understanding and have empathy and listen and lead if I can't have my entire, you know, functioning self in a good place, state of mind. Yeah, mind, body, spirit. Right. Um, I went to a Tony Robbins event. Uh, 2017 you know tony robbins yep, yep. and um big thing he was he you know motion creates emotion right um uh just you know emotion is energy in motion it was, was a big thing that he would talk about and just you know we move our body you know i'm around a lot of people that um you know you want to change your mind move a muscle you know go go do something you want to you want to feel different act different mm-hmm. you know mood follows action that kind of thing. Yep. Um, and, and I, and I found that, you know, working out, I mean, and there's probably all kinds of science that I'm, you know, not prepared to quote or anything like that about what it does psychologically when you work out with dopamine and, and things like that. But I just found that like, you know, it all just seems to function well. Um, and, and it doesn't, I found that it doesn't have to be as extreme, not that CrossFit is extreme. It's a, just a full body workout, but it doesn't have to be a crazy workout to where you feel like you're going to die after. You could simply just do some stretching and get the blood circulating and it would do just fine. Yeah. And, you know, I have I have both the mirror and I just ordered the Peloton. So I've, I've definitely yeah. prescribed to the new age of home and health and uh, different things you can do. But I agree. I mean, even what, you know, a lot of people watch their steps. My dad's retired. and You know, I got him a Fitbit and he's yeah. counting his steps and does two walks a day. And it's just it's really good for your mind, you know, just to break that, break through, you know, what may seem like a mundane task that's very good for your mind. The approach I took to things like that was because I had to, right? I thought, oh, either I'm not enough of this or I'm too much of that or I I should weigh less or I should look like this instead of that. And it was, you know, I'm going to do this for that specific purpose, right? Uh, A lot of people diet that way. They diet to lose weight or, um, you know, they work out so that they can look better. And then something happened in there, kind of like what you were just talking about, where, where now I'm doing it because it's a good thing to do for my body. I want my legs and my arms to be able to move 30 years from now pretty freely so I continue to stretch out, not because something's wrong with me or I'm lacking something and that's why I have to do it, right? I work out because I want to continue to be able to use the body that I have. It's the only one I have to live in, so I might as well use it pretty well or as best as I can, and it doesn't have to... I'm not going to be an Olympic athlete, but I want my legs and my arms to work. I want to be able to bend over. I want to be able to tie my shoes without holding my breath because there was yeah. a time when I had to do that. Yeah, and it's it's tough. It's a tough draw too, right? Genetics is, uh, yeah. you know, you never know what's going to happen. But 
uh, once again, going back full circle to being proactive and saying, you know, uh, I've, I've got to figure out how I can, what I, what's in my span of control. I'm really big on that. You know, mm -hmm. I think uh, we, we uh, have a lot of anxiety over things we can't control. I yeah. just say, I know what I can control. And that's where I've got to find my inner peace. Stay in the moment. Right. Yeah. Do you, do you have a, like a prayer meditation routine or any breathing? You mentioned that earlier. What's that kind of look like? Where'd you get it from? Like, you know, there's, there's, there's like some cool apps out there, like uh headspace. You know, we actually mm -hmm. use that at Riva, you know, uh, someone here, uh, she leads like a, a wellness and meditation on Wednesdays and, you know, and then people, that app is kind of recommended, but, um, for employees only. Or? Uh, yeah, people okay. and employees are using it right now, but, um, I, I really took, uh, not a prescribed path. It was more of me clearing my head with silence and letting it empty out, uh, giving myself enough time to let your mind wander. Uh, that's really what I kind of do on my daily routine. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely, uh, I think it's helped me because I feel like you unlock problems when your mind isn't so cluttered and busy mm -hmm. and you suddenly solve things that were jamming you up mm -hmm. because you let your mind wander. We have a tendency, I think, to want to solve a problem immediately. You know, that old adage, sleep on a problem. You know, I love that. You know, I don't like making quick decisions. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's really uh, being patient and letting it find you. Sometimes it's, you know, that 15 minutes on a elliptical or a Peloton might actually be the thing that unlocked you mm -hmm. to find the answer of something in your work life. I'm around a lot of people. We talk about that clinching gives you rope burn. Yep. So, you know, you hold on tight to the problem. I got to solve this. I have to do it right now. And it's going to come from within me. It was like, well, have some deep breaths, take your attention away from it and then come back and maybe you see it in a different way. Maybe, I, you know. I, Yeah. And I, I think people, I, I love the concept of ideation. Um, I love people who are creative. I think um, we we herald people who are process and with engineering brains who, are, you know, that's really, you know, uh, revered in our industry. But the creative part, when you just get on a whiteboard and you get people throwing out suggestions and ideas with no specific format, I I like encouraging that. And people think it's weird sometimes and they're like, why don't we just fill out the form, Naveen, and, you know, we have what it done. And I'm like, but, you know, I'd like to sit there and, you know, get it, everybody's opinion out here and, and think up, pick up themes here and think about uh, different options. And I think that ideation part and the creativity part um, really gets you to a different decision probably more than half the time. Are, are you a technical person? Do you have a technical background and then you've made that shift from being technical to now in leadership? How does that play into being a leader of technical people when you can no longer look at things from a technical aspect 100% or you yourself may not have even come from a technical background? I put a higher intrinsic value, though, on being able to understand emotional IQ, mm. situational awareness. You know, it's your ability to, to really understand the situation and be a chameleon and adapt. Uh, you know, I think I grew up like, hey, you're going to be a math guy and you're going to be a technical guy. And I think that um, I, I really took a charge in college and I said, I think I'm going to try to teach myself to be the other person I want to be. So I, I, I find myself to be a bit of a blend between the two because I've self-taught myself to learn 
to tap into that creative brain and and think through the problems without process and structure. But I could definitely tell that's my, you know, that's your, my initial inclination is, you know, hey, what time am I meeting Phil today? And I got to think about, you know, I do this in interviews with scenarios. Like, at what point did you decide you were going to look up how many, how much time it took you to get to the point of your interview? And people look at me like I'm crazy. But what am I really doing is I'm trying to pick up what kind of brain they are. Mm. Because you could, you immediately, someone's, well, someone's going to come along and go, Oh, I actually drove out here yesterday, Naveen. And yeah. I wanted to scope it out. Yeah, yeah. And so you can see that rigid and processed part versus people are like, oh, I just looked it up half hour before I got here. Yeah. And stuff. Well, what's that? So, so what's that? What's that tell you? The person that, uh, that drove out here yesterday versus the person that, you know, kind of had an idea, looked it up just to make sure that they were right and, uh, and swung by. I think, I think it depends on the job function. You know, uh, I had a joke yesterday in the office, uh, we were going through performance reviews and I said, I wanted to, it was a big call. And I said, I want to state on the record here. The only people who haven't finished their self appraisals are the same people who never finished their timesheets on time. Oh, by the way, those are our salespeople, huh. <laughs> but I don't want to stifle that. No, let, let them go. Let them be who they are. Let them go out there and build the relationships. Uh, marking is another division like that. Proposal writing is another one. You want to encourage that creativity while you mm. still have that process. I, I love when there's a balance between the two, but it is our tendency to say, I need process, I need an SOP, I need some rigid, rigid uh, you know, ways of doing things. I really love what um, this fellow named Cameron Hogan told me from uh, E3 Federal. He said, uh, he said it's, your, your strategy is like uh, drawing a line in the sand and it's wiped out every day by the tide. So be ready to, you know, draw that line again the next day. And I think that that was really impactful for me because I said it really said, even if you try to get everything perfect, it's never going to be perfect. Mm. So be ready to like start again tomorrow and, 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 and still meet your goals, but you're going to adapt every day that you're going to get something else thrown at you. And, you could see it, and especially in leaders, are like, "Oh my God, I got this problem." You know, this thing happened. This person didn't do this, and there's so much panic, anxiety, and and concern. And I'm kind of like, "Well, let's figure it out." You know, let's just, you know, this is we knew these are the things of our daily routine we're going to come across, and it's not all unicorns and rainbows. You know? Right, right. <laughs> that yeah. this is life, and and we just got to figure it out and solve it. And those that are able to effectively solve those problems. I feel are the ones that are the most successful. Yeah, they roll with the punches or they're, they're, they have that next play mentality. Right. One thing I wanted to ask you just as an individual, right? Uh, there's this idea of being at a jumping off point where you can no longer keep doing what you're doing. You're unsure about what to do next, but you know, you're at a jumping off point where you just can't keep doing what you're doing and expecting things to be different, but you're just unsure of what to do next. So as I would apply it to my career, Riva specifically, one of the things I had to teach myself is this rule of 80-20 of uh, I'm not going to get everything right. Mm. And I accept that. And that's uh, a tough pill for people to swallow that they look at it as I haven't achieved perfection. I have poor quality, but I, I kind of view it that it's acceptable. You know, I think that's, that's one that I did. Uh, the second one is, can I do this job? I think that we have to have that gut check moment. 
Uh, I love this phrase. Uh, under 20 million in revenue, you're an entrepreneur. Over 20 million, you're a CEO. Mm. I think that's a, a very, very good depiction because an entrepreneur, I mean, you could start a lot of companies, and but when you've got to build an infrastructure, set a business plan, you've got to work through the financials and, you know, that all of the aspects, the people problems of organizational behavior, that's where suddenly these like 92 Harvard Business Reviews I read in the Metro while half asleep during my MBA, I'm like, remembering some of them and I'm going, Oh man, I've got to apply this now to running this company. And I think that that's, that's to me, you have to have that gut check. Can you do that? And even if you can after 20 for us, right, we're over 20 million. I I still talk to my executives and go, we need to bring in another CEO or a president here, like who's done this before. And I think that that self-reflection, you know, and it goes back to me being learning. I'm trying to learn how to do it. Uh, I haven't done this before, but, um, you know, I'm also trying to see, measure my results and say, can I do that next step? So I think I have that gut check all the time. Mm. Uh, you know, I don't have a lot of fear. Uh, I think people qualify me as a risk taker. I, I always say I hedge my risks really well. And I think that you have to know what you can and can't do within your own self and, do that calculated risk assessment in a lot of your decisions. And yeah. I think that's what I do. And um, I have a tendency through entrepreneurship now being a CEO to say, I have to take some chances. Uh, that's part of being a business owner, but I can't put myself in that red field of risk. And I think that's part uh, that, you know, you definitely have to take a look at. Yeah. That's huge. That's huge. Just kind of, you know, knowing your own limitations and not viewing that as a negative right and understanding that like hey i've never been here before maybe i could use the counsel of someone who has or maybe that person who has is probably better suited uh to do that so that i can focus on the things that i do well and i think that goes back to even teamwork right yeah not everyone's going to be the quarterback and, right? and i think that you know if you look back at two years yourself two years ago and you keep doing that you learn fast in owning a business so it's not two years it's quarterly where you're continuing to evolve and you go, oh, okay, I, I definitely would have done things differently if I knew what I knew now. I look future forward, you know, and, and try to stay, keep my feet in the present. I think everything is a path. When I give uh, speeches, you know, to protégés, I always tell them about the jobs that, you know, going down a wrong career path, uh, quote unquote wrong, getting fired from jobs, working in public versus private. And I said, the sum of the whole is what makes me who I am. Mm. And it's given me the lessons to have this job today. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's any wrong path out there for us. Um, yeah, well, look, Naveen, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to sit and chat with me. And so I just wanted to say that while we're still here and, and just congratulations on all your success and congratulations on all the, the things that didn't go well that you're learning from. Hey, I appreciate um, it. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed chatting with you today. It's, it's, uh, for me, it's uh, sometimes, uh, you know, I hear things that I, I don't even know I was thinking. Thanks for listening to DC Local Leaders. We'd love to connect with you. Find us on LinkedIn and YouTube by searching DC Local Leaders, on Instagram at DC Local Leaders, or our website, dclocalleaders.com. You can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google, or wherever you find great podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe.
If you're a business leader and have questions on your lease and how it impacts your business's opportunities to grow or have questions about the market, you can reach Philip directly at philip.nathram at transwestern.com. He'd love to speak with you. Until next time.